Welcome to Surf and Turf, Seafood Justice Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Ferguson. This season, we've been exploring amazing solutions to the challenge of accessing local seafood, particularly for low-income communities. Today, for our last interview of the season, I'm gonna speak with researcher Dave Love about seafood waste. It was so heartbreaking for me to learn that after all of these efforts to get local seafood onto people's plates, that nearly half of it, in some cases, is going to waste. We talk about solutions in your own kitchen to reducing seafood waste, as well as systemic solutions to reducing seafood waste. I'm so excited to be able to speak with Dave about these practical strategies to transforming our food system. I hope you get as much from this conversation as I did. I'm Dave Love. I'm a senior scientist at the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future. Thanks, Dave. And before we dive into talking about uh, the topic of the day, which is seafood waste, um, I want to start with a question I ask all of my guests, which is if there is a seafood dish that brings back a lot of memories for you personally. Great question. I I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay, um, farming oysters and clams and catching crabs. So there are a lot of seafood dishes that really resonate with me. Um, oysters Rockefeller in particular is something I, I really like to cook with my family. That's delicious. My dad also really loves oysters Rockefeller. I can't bring myself to put that many things on an oyster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's well, if you're looking for a meal, you know, it's good to add on the spinach and breadcrumbs and, you know, maybe bacon on top. Probably better than my strategy of just eating two dozen oysters and then feeling sick after. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. So I, I love knowing that you're from uh, a fishing area and that maybe starts to answer uh, my next question, which is uh, about this study that you and your colleagues at Johns Hopkins conducted to estimate seafood that was wasted in the U.S. from 2009 to 2013. Um, why did you choose to look at seafood specifically for that study? Mm-hmm. Great question. Um, well, part of it was just who's working near me. So in the office across the hall um, was Dr. Ronnie Neff, and she's a food waste expert. And I work on uh, fisheries and aquaculture issues, and I've been hearing a lot about food waste, but I didn't know much um, about you know the seafood specifically. So I knocked on her door and I said, "Hey, Ronnie, we ought to work together." you know, use your food waste background and, and my training in, in seafood and see if we can do something together. And um, that's sort of the kernel of the idea that led to us looking at how much seafood is wasted in the U.S. I love that. It really speaks to the value of that really collaborative spirit. And you found in the study that 40 to 47 percent of the edible U.S. seafood supply was wasted, which is I mean, just devastating. So where is that seafood going, if not onto people's plates? So I'll start with, with that number, 40 to 47%. And in our study, we used secondary data. So we used data from other sources. A lot of them um, were not great sources. They were just what we have available to us. Um, our starting point was an FAO report on the amount of food waste globally. And... Um, so we, we use a lot of the, those, those different data points to feed into this 40 to 47%. And it, like you, we were really shocked that it was that high. 
because it puts seafood waste above lots of other sectors, um, meat and poultry, uh, fruits and vegetables, um, and, and grains. And so it was a, a little bit surprising. So after we got those numbers back from the model, we thought, you know, we really need to ground truth this. So we spent the next year or two writing grants and um, lo and behold, we got funded uh, by USDA to do more research. And from 2018 to 2021, we've been collecting data on the ground to see um, how much seafood is wasted at each stage of the supply chain from production, processing, distribution, wholesale, retail, and, and with consumers. And we actually have a, a much better handle on it. And the news from that study is, well, it's um, the paper's in review, but we know it's not 40 to 47%. We think it's more uh, like 22 or 23%, which puts it more in line with most other foods um, that are consumed in the U.S. Well, that's a relief, at least. <laughs> what was responsible for that gap between 22 and 40? Yeah, um, I think it's just the quality of the the secondary data we were using for the initial study was not very good. It used a, a lot of assumptions. Um, and instead of just assuming, we actually went to places like grocery stores, restaurants, uh, seafood wholesalers. We went out to farms on, and, and talked with fishermen. And we got it, you know, straight from them. What's their, what's the loss at each, sta at each stage? And when you come, when you add it all up, it, it didn't come to that 40 to 47%. Um, the biggest areas for loss are among consumers and in the production phase. Um, consumers just naturally have a lot of food loss. Um, and that's something that a lot of high income countries um, face. Um, for seafood, we know that it spoils more quickly than a lot of other foods. Um, there's also a lot of aspirational purchasing. Um, consumers hear how healthy seafood is and they go to the grocery store, they might overpurchase. Um, or they purchase it and they and they may not feel comfortable preparing it, or um, maybe they they cook it and then they don't eat all the leftovers. Um, so those are a couple issues. And then on the production side, uh, there's um, a lot of opportunities for loss. Uh, whether in fishing, it's um, could be from bycatch or discards. Um, on the farm side, we see um, if mortality happens at, at aquaculture um, sites, uh, that can contribute to food loss. Um, so those are those are the two big areas that we noticed: the consumption end and the production end. That's so interesting, and, and again, a little heartbreaking because I've spent this season speaking with folks who are trying to improve access to local seafood for people in coastal communities. And to think that, you know, all of this work is being invested in, in first of all, communicating the health of seafood, as you said, people are buying it because they know it's healthy for them, in getting seafood to their plates. And then the missing piece is people actually knowing what to do with it. <laughs> and it, it really illuminated for me reading your paper and then hearing now more about your research the importance of, of that last piece, that if we get it into their fridge, we haven't yet gotten it into their bodies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And well, actually you said fridge, which is interesting because 
there's so many different forms of seafood, um, fresh, frozen, canned. And so we looked at, at food waste among these different forms. And um, we found some really interesting things. Um, if, uh, for example, fresh seafood that's at the grocery store. Um, so retailers don't sell all the seafood that they, that they have on their, in the seafood counter. Um, anywhere between 5 to 10% of what's in the seafood counter gets thrown out um, each week. Um, if you go to the frozen seafood section, it's about 1% um, gets thrown out. Um, and the canned seafood is, is even better. Um, it's, it's less than a percent. So um, depending upon what forms of seafood consumers are buying, uh, that affects upstream types of waste in, in the supply chain. And also um, consumers themselves will throw out more fresh seafood than frozen or canned seafood. Yeah, I mean, as you said, it really resonates with how I think about my own food waste with all products, not just with seafood. If something's in my freezer, it can stay there for months versus if I have produce in my fridge that I forgot to cook or leftovers, as you said, that I that don't get eaten. Um, yeah, it's reflective of, of the whole food system of our own kitchens, isn't it? Mm-hmm. There's another element that I thought was really interesting, which is sort of this cultural lens on what what is considered uh, waste. So, um, you know, in the U.S., a lot of people like to eat um, fillets. And so you go to the grocery store, you know, you can buy a fillet really easily. And it's actually harder to buy a whole fish. And um, different um, culinary traditions, different cultures uh, eat more or less, you know, the whole fish. So what you consider waste is really important. Um, if for folks who want to cook a whole fish, uh, you know, there's a lot less waste involved uh, in that than there is in creating a fillet because the, in um, all the, um, the scraps and things that, that are left over uh, from, you know, cutting a fillet, those either get, get thrown out or they go into the rendering stream. Even though, um, you know, a lot of parts of the fish, um, including the head, very nutritious. So um, there's there's sort of these options and opportunities about cook, cooking the whole fish or cooking, you know, tip to tail that are really interesting and engage, um, you know, consumers in thinking about seafood in different ways. Yeah. And it's so interesting you say that because some of what I've heard from fishermen is that getting a whole fish to a consumer is a lot easier for them too. That as soon as you in introduce a processing facility or introducing a middleman, you're introducing, in many cases, a large company that's not paying the fishermen necessarily a fair price. Um, that when we think about it from, again, from the whole food system perspective, whole fish is something that I, I've heard a lot of people want to lean into. And so maybe that, yeah, it's highlighting for me that there's another place for education for how do you cook a whole fish? Like, why are fish heads not gross? <laughs> how do you mm -hmm. eat them if yeah. you don't necessarily yeah. want to see it? <laughs> You know, we when we interviewed um, large retail chains, we heard a, a really interesting story about the whole fish. Um, one retail chain said that they only buy um, whole farm salmon. They don't want to buy farm salmon fillets. And we asked them, you know, why is that? And, and they said, we're buying time, which I thought was really interesting. And I said, what do you mean you're buying time? And they said, well... 
if you buy the whole fish, it's going to be fresher and you have more time to sell it. Um, even if you do the processing in house, you know, in the grocery store, they, they'll cut it up into fillets. Um, and that buys them a few extra days versus um, buying processed fillets, which are uh, cut at the, at the processor or at a wholesaler. So it's really interesting to hear them thinking about the whole fish as buying time. That is so interesting. And, and, you know, it's worth saying, I think that this is really culturally contextualized that a lot of consumers or eaters, I should say, um, prefer the whole fish. So we've talked to people this season um, representing Southeast Asian communities and West African communities who say, we really want the whole fish, that there's this recognition that it's um, fresher, that it stays fresh longer, um, that, that there is less waste. And so I think it's, it's an interesting challenge to think about why is this not necessarily mainstream across all American culture? Um, and what can we learn from communities that recognize the value of the whole fish? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also there's some trade-offs involved. I mean, if you're buying the whole fish, that means, you know, again, uh, we know frozen and canned have less food waste. So there, there might be more food waste. Um, there, you're also missing upstream opportunities for um, combining all the waste together into one waste stream to go to, for example, like a rendering plant. So you, that, that'd be another example of a trade-off. Um, and we know that, that aquaculture is highly dependent upon um, seafood processing waste for um, feed. And, and more so than any other sector, you know, aquaculture really relies on processing waste. And that happens at, you know, right at the, at the processing plant where, where it's easiest to, um, to get all that material all at one time and get it to a renderer. Whereas if the processing is done in everybody's home individually, it's very hard to kind of aggregate that up. So there are some trade-offs, um, but it really depends on the scale of the of the of the sector um, and what the goals are, and, and actually also what the consumer is asking for. That's really interesting. That connection between aquaculture and fisheries and fisheries waste um, that I haven't heard articulated before. And you've used a word now a few times: rendering facility. Can you explain what that is? Sure. Yeah, um, that's just basically where where the you know whether it's head, guts, or you call it offal, um, the frames of the fish. They're uh, sent to a facility that grinds that up, um, and it does two things. After it's ground. Um, there are machines that press the oil out and that's what makes fish oil. And then there are other machines that dry the pressed cake and, um, and then grind it into a flour and that's called fish meal and fish oil and fish meal are, um, a big part of aquaculture diets. Um, you probably, you know, you can also find fish oil in the grocery store, um, you know, as, as, um, pills. Um, and so the rendering industry is, is a really important um, upstream component of the aquaculture sector. Well, yeah, now that you've explained it, I mean, a lot of times when we talk about fish meal and fish oil, we're talking about kind of the like worst <laughs> fleets of fishing um, on the high seas or in depleted water, waters in other countries using, in many cases, underpaid or even unpaid labor. So to think that this is an alternative way of producing fish meal and fish oil that is part of a more closed system it 
is really encouraging to think about when we're having conversations about aquaculture and the human rights and sustainability associated with aquaculture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the FAO reports that about half of all fish oil comes from um, processing waste and about a quarter of all fish meal comes from processing waste. And um, as you alluded to, you know, the amount of um, fish coming from re these reduction fisheries um, is not going up. If anything, it's it's flat or going down. So, you know, our ability to support aquaculture with marine um, byproducts or marine rendered products um, is really going to have to come from um, the processing sector. So again, these trade-offs between, you know, where where do you process the fish at home or at the processing plant or at the wholesaler freshness and and waste it, they're all kind of tied together which is i thought a really interesting piece to this study that i haven't really um, seen before yeah absolutely and that's one thing that i loved about the 2015 study was you speak both about the nutritional impacts and the environmental impacts of this waste so Nutrition is something we haven't really talked about yet, and it's, of course, really core to a lot of your work. So could you tell us a little bit about the nutritional loss associated with seafood waste? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, in that, that paper you alluded to, we did look at, you know, how much, um, well, we just tried different metrics. So we, we measured the amount of waste in, in kilograms, but we also measured it in terms of grams of protein, milligrams of EPA and DHA. Um, and calories. So we just, you know, trying different metrics to reach different audiences with that story. Um, it's not necessarily the case that wasted uh, seafood could be eaten because some of it has spoiled and, and some of it's thrown out for good reason. So it's not that we're missing necessarily, you know, food, um, but it's a missed opportunity, I think, upstream to, to sort of implement different solutions that can minimize waste before it happens. Um, what we're doing now is trying to link waste to carbon footprint. And that's that's some ongoing work with our group that I think will also just be another metric that we can um, communicate how important waste is. Yeah, and I think, like you said, one that will resonate with different audiences who are concerned maybe about different priorities. And... I guess this is all leading me to just want to know, like, what what can we do? So, <laughs> so I'm thinking in my own head, what can I do in my kitchen? But what can we do systematically to reduce seafood waste? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it, it's really fascinating, and it and you can find solutions anywhere you dive in. So um, I'll tell you um, a story from Alaska that I learned about that I thought was really inspiring. Um, in the uh, Alaska Pollock sector. Um, there, there's a little bit of bycatch and discards, not a whole lot, but there's, there's bycatch of, um, salmon and haddock. And when those uh, fish are caught they're technically they have to be thrown overboard, but a group called, um, a group, um, oh, I'm not remembering the name, but there's a, there's a group up in Alaska that specializes in taking those fish. Um, that would be discarded, bring them to local processors and having them um, cut and frozen. And they make their way into Alaska food banks and also nationally uh, food, to food banks around the U.S. Um, so I thought that was a really inspiring story. At the production end, 
Um, all along the supply chain, though, there are lots of good examples of, of companies and, and groups that are trying to reduce waste. Um, there's, um, we, we heard stories from um, the food service sector, um, which, um, you know, is it, is it more efficient to process fish in restaurants or upstream? And we heard um, one large um, food service company found that, that they, were, they could reduce waste by reducing the number of species on their menu and having um, upstream processors um, create single, uh, single frozen portions that they could use in their restaurant. Um, and at, at retail, um, we, we've looked at freezing, uh, whether it's better to sell fresh or frozen, and, um, and whether retailers are open to selling more frozen products. And then at home, um, there's just so many good opportunities to reduce food waste at home, not just seafood, but all kinds of food waste. And a, a lot of that revolves around um, education and uh, getting eaters to feel uh, more empowered to you know, reduce their own food waste. I mean, I find this work really inspiring. I, I love the example that you gave of the group in Alaska because it is so frustrating to know that bycatch in many cases it is just wasted, that it doesn't get eaten by anyone. It's extracted from the environment uh, and then and then yeah, left to rot or thrown back. So um, I find your work really inspiring and I'm wondering what inspires you to do this work. Oh, <laughs> Um, well, I've been working with the fisheries and aquaculture sector um, for about 10 years now. Um, I'm an environmental scientist and, um, you know, just trying to discover small, <laughs> small things every day and, and take one step at a time, um, make the world a better place. I know it sounds kind of cliche, but um, yeah, the, those are, that's about it. <laughs> It may sound cliche, but I think if everyone uh, the world would in fact be a better place. <laughs> so where can people find your work? Um, we'll look forward to this paper that's under review right now, but if people want to see what you're up to, where can they find you? Sure. Um, probably the best place to go is um, the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future website. And that has uh, archives of all the work I've done and my colleagues um, and when we publish uh, this study on on carbon footprint or energy use um, and food waste that I, that I mentioned earlier, that'll hopefully get uh, picked up in the national media. So there'll be other opportunities to read that. Thank you so much. And is there anything else that uh, around this topic of food waste or seafood waste that you wanted to discuss that we haven't gotten to yet? Uh, not really. I think we've covered a lot of ground. It's um, Maybe just one small step is that uh, just to empower folks, um, listeners, that you know, think about uh, food waste in your own home, and um, you know, when you go to throw something out, uh, just think, you know, could I have done something differently? And um, you know, if and if and if you can, you know, try those new things, and you actually could save a lot of money, which is really important um, because. Um, Seafood is an incredibly expensive product, and and we we need to treat it with a lot of respect because it came from uh, the ocean and many many hands um, to get it from uh, the water to your plate. Yeah, thank you. I I love that reflection, and 
And speaking with fishermen this season, the respect with which they treat the fish is something that I'm increasingly thinking about when handling the fish in my own home. And I think, as you said, it can lead us to make better decisions about what we purchase and then what we do with what we purchase. Um, and hopefully enjoy the fish more too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Dave. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and I'm really excited to share this interview and your work with our listeners. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks so much to Dave and to all of our guests this season. I don't know about you, but I learned a ton about how difficult it is to just get local seafood onto local people's plates. We're gonna take a month long break and we'll be back June 1st for season two. Next season, we're diving in to the harvester side of the equation. We're gonna be talking about the privatization of fishing rights, the accumulation of those rights by a small number of actors, the graying of the fleet, and solutions to these challenges that foreground the needs of seafood communities. You'll be hearing from guests new and old. You'll recognize the voices of Faini Yen and Will Sinnott, and you'll also be hearing from harvesters, researchers, fishing families, and advocates who are working to advance a more just seafood system that supports communities and nourishes us all. If you like the show, recommend it to a friend and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show. Thanks as always to our funders at NOAA Fisheries and to the support that we receive from the University of Maine. You can find us on Instagram at Surf and Turf Podcast, or you can follow me on Twitter at CEFerguson1. Don't forget to follow along at our website, www.surfandturfpodcast.com. Stay tuned. We have one more episode coming at you, and then we'll see you this summer. <laughs>